Hello, it's me, Patrick from Outrageous Insight. How are you? Hope you are extremely well. I'm delighted today to be joined by the awesome Helen Devine, who is the UX Research Manager at The Economist. Helen, how are you? I'm really well, thanks. Hello. Really great to have you here. And uh, I've had the pleasure of getting to know Helen over the past uh, few months since we met at a conference in Amsterdam, which was all very fun. How did you enjoy the Netherlands, Helen? Oh, I loved it. It was so nice being away with work. Like I've not done that. It feels like years. So, yeah, it was lovely, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, great conference. Loads of really good people. Yeah, it was it was unbelievably strange, like being away from home like in my it, you know in my case away from family away from like just you know really familiar sounding uh, surroundings and suddenly being surrounded by like tons of people was a bit overwhelming at first but people were super friendly it was it was a really great experience yeah I agree um I was really lucky because I think I was up one of the first at the conference so I got mm. that out the way and yeah. so could just enjoy it after that. And loads of people came over and wanted to talk and discuss things. So, yeah, amazing. And how do you feel about those sorts of, you know, public speaking things? Like, do you approach those with sort of trepidation or do you feel like, yeah, bring it on, game on. This is going to be amazing. Like, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I mean, I always want to do stuff like that. I feel like it's really energising. So, I mean... Obviously, in the morning before, it's very nerve wracking and you think you're just going to have nothing to say and you're going to trip over and all that sort of stuff. But I always want to throw myself in like I just, yeah, it's, it's exciting. So, yeah, totally. So anyone watching who wants to invite me to speak at any of those things, please do. And I mean, Helen is an amazing speaker and speaks about a range of really, really fascinating and important topics. So, uh, you know, folks, uh, feel free to uh, connect with Helen after this um, because she abs is absolutely amazing. And we've got another amazing person who's here, uh, Lisa Rose, who is ex-Patagonia and now works at 350, uh, which is a climate justice campaign uh, over there. Hey, Lisa, nice to see you. And a fellow uh, uh, Dutch uh, citizen. So great to see you. Um, so, Helen, I wonder if you could just uh, give people a, a little sort of intro to you and sort of how you've got to, to where you are today, because you've worked in a range of different places. And I think it'd just be great to, to sort of share that. Don't worry, it doesn't have to be a CV or like a sort of like the worst wedding speech we've both sat through where somebody <laughs> goes, and then they went to Exeter University and whatever. It's just like yeah, but, PowerPoint uh, here. Yeah, those. PowerPoint. 600 slides. Welcome to my McKinsey lifestyle. You know, it's. Uh... <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, so I'm the US research manager at The Economist. It feels like Lately, a lot of people in product will say, this is where I am currently, as if they're about to move on. So no, this is where I am. will be fired. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, so I've been here for about a year and I've been setting up the UX research practice at The Economist, so it's quite new. Um, but yeah, my background is in market research. So I've worked in research for over 20 years, uh, starting out in more like standard customer satisfaction type things, um, agency side. Um, I've worked in both quant and qual, but I really love qualitative research and that's where I've moved into. So, yeah, after a few years, agency side, I moved client side. I've worked for a, like a local authority 
And then I was at Asda for quite a lot of years, working in various customer insight and planning roles and um, heading up the marketing insight team at the end. Um, and then I went to work for myself and had my own consultancy. And that's when I moved more into the user design research side because it's just super collaborative and interesting and you know you move really quickly and you don't have to produce perfect reports you're just talking to people all the time so I really love all that about it so that's what I've been doing since then so I've worked for Lloyds Bank then more recently um, Shelter, The Guardian and then now I'm at The Economist. Amazing and I am uh... I'm sort of f for those folks who are watching or listening um, and are not in the UK. And I mean, who knew that there would be audience outside the UK or that outside the UK was even a thing? But like, do you agree that basically Asda has won the television uh, Christmas advert competition this year with their real uh, elf uh sort of uh you know campaign can you describe it to people helen have you you've seen it i have seen it yeah no that was a test then but i have seen it no it was funny because one of my friends that still works there was saying about it beforehand and i was like we were both like oh we're not sure but actually yeah it's really good it's just um yeah will ferrell and elf in a supermarket and um interacting with colleagues and stuff but it, yeah actually it's nicely done yeah, it's uh, it's it's brilliant. And actually, when you see the sort of reaching that some of the other brands have been trying to do to sort of, you know, make their uh, make their Christmas sort of uh, promotions relevant, like I, I think it was Tesco. And, and I'm going to say this doesn't work. And then I'm basically going to talk back about their campaign, which basically means it has worked. But they were like, <laughs> yeah. So basically, I am the rotten egg here, folks. But basically, they were they were framing themselves as the Christmas party. And we're doing like this sort of weird election sort of mock broadcast with it all and it felt a little bit misjudged and a bit a bit out of a, a bit out of kilter with the sort of season of of joy albeit that we're in a cost of living crisis as it were yeah it's quite I mean I don't envy brands and marketing teams actually because it's Christmas isn't it so you don't want it to be miserable but then you have got to like read the room a little bit haven't you mm. so yeah I mean yeah now I'm now I'm in publishing, I, I pay a little bit less attention to some of that stuff, which is nice. But to be honest, Tesco have won marketing for me because they had a big uh, billboard with Mr. Blobby on that I walked past near my house. And this is a few years ago and I was like, love Blobby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you can't beat Mr. Blobby uh um, literally because you I yeah mean, uh, he's gonna yeah. push him over yeah, I mean he's he's just quite he, you're never sure if he's gonna like hit back first but like in a really loving and supportive way so it's kind <laughs> of a bit it's a bit disturbing although I've got to give a shout out to the economist because when when Boris Johnson was uh sort of what do they say chucked out the window I prefer the word defenestrated. I think that the 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 sub the, the cover of the Economist that just had a picture of him on the zip wire with the one word clownful was absolutely inspired. I mean, that must give you a real sort of Philip when you see the those really clever sort of headlines as well, Helen. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, um, there's loads of super smart people here. Like it's mm. it's a nice place to work for that especially like I think um before you start you think it might be a bit intimidating because everyone's mm. going to be super interesting but I'm really intellectual but um no it's just super smart people who are really nice and approachable um yeah. so yeah no it's good it's and it's it's nice sometimes to hear things first as they come out and yeah like um the deputy editor was doing a briefing the other day in the office about some predictions for next year 
it's just it's it's nice to be somewhere where that's the kind of thing people are talking about and debating it's yes yeah. it's stimulating it's good yeah not just not just sort of you know moaning about the fact that the coffee machine is on the blink again like actually when you're around really intelligent people but people who really care as well and i'm i'm intrigued about your sort of you know history and how this is playing into your work of trying to sort of build a culture of of research inside the economist and i wonder if you could give us a bit of a sense as to kind of how it's going and what your your sort of aspirations are for that helen yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, research is a, on the whole is obviously something that's been here for years because mm. all of the journalism and articles are really well researched. But I suppose when you're more talking about the market research and, and my side, the user research bit, that's that's less mature and less established. There's The product team is big. So there's a lot of people who want to do their own things. So a lot of me and my team's time is spent upskilling people and like we've done a big intranet page with loads of resources for people with templates and videos and lots of things so people are you know can do their own research and I do like a once a week research drop-in surgery where people can come and talk about anything that's on their mind that they might think they might want to do some research in or bounce ideas off me and my team or also like go through things and then we've got like, because there's so many more people in product who want to do their own stuff, and there's only me and two people in my team, there's only three of us. Um, a lot of, we've got like a, I guess there's a spectrum of ways of doing it. So, you know, there'll be something that's big, strategic, really complicated. It's going to need, you know, hour long in-depth interviews with people who've got like quite complex requirements. And then that'll be when we'll own it and do it all the way down to something that's just quite straightforward, you know, just like testing some copy or testing a prototype or something where the team can do it. And then there's all the bits in the middle. So I think that feels to me that like letting people be empowered to get involved, but also, I guess, making sure they're supported and also having like making sure everything's really good quality, like saying, you know, try. It doesn't have to be perfect. But I guess like be aspirational in it. Don't just think it can be okay because I guess we need to make sure it's got a got a good reputation. The research that's happening. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And you know, I've found um, that often it's that sort of fear of the awkward silence that kind of is one of those those real foundational blockers for non researchers in doing research. And I wonder how you know, with the sort of DIY, or should we call it supported DIY, you know, model that you've just described, like, how do you help people get through that sort of that initial, either block, like, this is going to be scary, and or prevent them becoming like overly confident and just sort of blustering through it, like, you know, Boris and just being like, well, well, well I could absolutely <laughs> do this, you know, it's like, how do you how do you navigate through that sort of uh, through that, th that split? Yeah, I mean, I'd actually say sort of the more like moderated interviews. So I guess like this is with you and I now would be something that people would probably work their way up to a little bit. So it's not that they can't do it up front, but I think you're absolutely right that it's a bit nerve wracking, isn't it? And and people sometimes, yeah, aren't don't feel so confident and will maybe talk too much and not listen enough and maybe not feel comfortable going off track you know they'll have the questions and stick to them regardless of whether someone brings something interesting up that would be worth probing into so I mean 
for me I I always have observers so everyone can come and observe me doing it and take notes and then we can chat it through after there's loads of videos like so everything's recorded so as long as it's only used internally um then people can watch those back um so and also I think in user research there's a lot of stuff that's happening that is not this you know there's more of unmoderated people just you know users playing around with prototypes and um, responding to things like that so I think that's a good place to start and then people can work their way up and also it's not for everyone you know if your job isn't an actual qualitative researcher then you don't have to do that bit and so that's absolutely fine you know it's more about people playing to the strengths I think rather than having to be always put in uncomfortable situations I don't think that necessarily brings out the best in people and so the, yeah I don't think we need to push people into that particularly yeah and it's it's for me it's it's intriguing to hear somebody who has come to this work in UX from a from a market research background then still sort of banging the drum in some ways for the role of qualitative because often what you have is that sort of like well I was market research now I'm UX and I only see the UX tool set as it were but you seem to really be advocating for for this need for for, for sort of a hybrid set of tactics as it were Helen. Yeah well I mean from my perspective I think the methods are really similar it's more the mm. mindset and approach and ways of working that are different um mm. anyway and um but yeah I mean because we're a small team here um I get involved in both sides a little bit and just because that's I can um mm. though I do at the moment personally prefer the user research side mm. but um yeah I think I think I mean this is what I talked about that conference and um you know I know there's loads of conversation going on about this generally but I think they're going to end up combining a bit more anyway because mm. I think there's potentially a bit more of everything coming in-house, mm. which is often how the UX mm. and user research side works. Mm. But then also I think there's there's um, people opening their minds a bit up to all the different methods that you can employ on both sides. So, yeah, mm. I think, um, I don't know, it just makes sense to me that you would approach both from a similar perspective, but it's just maybe a bit more structured in the market mm. research side and the user research is more about like let's involve everybody let's collaborate but also let's do what we can and then do a bit more and then do a bit more yeah and I get and I guess also you know we're seeing this sort of real like protectionist sort of knee-jerk you know sort of like defend the status quite like oh no 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 we mustn't democratize access to research you know this is a sort of princely a princessly a sort of mxt you know sort of thing that only secular priests can do and you and i have chatted at quite some length about how we both think that's complete and utter crap helen sorry to make you choke on your water as you're drinking um i didn't damn it folks i didn't actually make helen sort of uh splutter water out uh during during the uh comment during my first she was so relaxed it was just great but i would love to sort of we've we've spoken a lot about the the, the sort of the, the relative, and these are my words, not yours, but sort mm -hmm. of the relative monocultural sort of, you know, of insight research of agencies of smaller and bigger agencies and their ownership. And, you know, that cuts across race. It cuts across gender, sexuality. It cuts across um, class, you know, which I think we both agree is like a real uh, sort of, you know, hidden 
sort of fault line in all of this. And I think both of us are united, as, a, as I've got to know you, we've both been really united in this desire to start to throw these things open and say, actually, we need to get more people who look like those people we want to understand into yeah. this industry. And I'd love to just hear your observations on kind of where you think we're at. And I'm not expecting you to speak on behalf of The Economist, but just love to hear yeah. your thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah, we have. And um, I think, yeah, it, I think class feels like one of the big ones mm. because it's just like that accessibility and and feeling like this is something that you could consider that you're mm. worthy of. And I'm not, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a totally, it's not particularly high status mm. um, role, is it this? But it, it probably is. I don't know. It's like, it is a profession, I suppose. Mm. And I, yeah, I mean, I feel like, there's quite a lot of agencies that are small or medium sized, grown from small, and a bit of nervousness about not hiring people who totally fit the culture. And that's always just very risky, isn't it, from a recruitment point of view, if you're trying to get people who fit in, because you can just end up with everybody who looks and sounds and thinks the same. Mm. And um, yeah, it just feels like there's potentially sort of a pushback from more you know to sort of say we're not like these big corporates we don't have really structured recruitment practices but actually you know there's a lot of good things about having structured recruitment practices because it's fair and it's transparent and you know all roles are advertised um and you know it's really clear as to what the criteria is if you know to hire someone and you have to sort of justify it in a good way and yeah it just feels like potentially in our industry in some agencies especially mm. it's not that overt hiring you know it's more oh we'll just network a bit and then you get a conversation and you know I've been privileged and so far as I've had some mm. of those conversations because I've worked for some brands that people think are good so you know again this is the issue across the board isn't it you know if you come from a big brand then you've got to be good mm. And that's not always the case. But, you know, and, you know, um, because I'm relatively established in my career, I've had these conversations. And thank you to those agencies, you know, that have had conversations with me over the years. But I have realised that, like, that that conversation wasn't open to everybody. And the mm -hmm. reason why I had it is because we had a conversation or also just because maybe I had the confidence mm -hmm. to approach them directly. But not everyone. I've been to university, you know, like, um, it's I've probably got that confidence through mm -hmm. a lot of nice things that have happened to me in my life that aren't anything due to my um, ability so mm -hmm. yeah I do think there's I know it's difficult if you run your own business like you, it's difficult to take risks but on the other hand you're going to do better work aren't you if you have a diverse workforce and also you just need to you need to be bringing people in who are going to challenge you like I feel like mm -hmm as a leader you need to be open to challenge and like invite challenge mm. uh, rather than looking for something too homogenous but that's my point of view anyway well I love that and and it's um, and what I love about it I've in fact was just uh chatting to uh somebody at uh versus arthritis and I'm just I won't name check them specifically but you know who you are and they recommended this amazing book called the Buddha and the Badass which is really really fascinating have you read it no, no. Okay, fine. Um, I, I, it, it's now, it was going to sit at the top of my pile of shame, i.e. my book of, my, my pile of unread books, Helen, but then I actually just started reading it. It was so good and it's an absolutely brilliant recommendation. Um, bye, Lisa. Thanks for coming. And um, yeah, it's, um, 
it was it just gave this example it said you know uh, a soldier who had basically fought in the second world war as a as a young man or a young woman would be basically um in their 40s in 1965 and basically would then be in their 60s in 1985 and you just never think about that and the author was basically saying this means that all of these sort of hierarchical ways of of sort of doing things these very militaristic ways of doing things these expectations about deference and being all the same and being regimented and following orders has sort of percolated into our sort of business culture. And I think now what we're seeing is, you know, if, if this last year's word is permacrisis, we're saying like everything has been thrown up in the air. We, we need to change things. But in some ways, those mindsets haven't changed. Yeah, um, I'll have to read it. I'm useless at reading business, anything. <laughs> like, I love reading, but I don't, I'd never read anything to do with work. It's really, yeah, uh, like, so, um, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll change in uh, 2023. Uh, uh, folks, this is why you need to do insight research, because Helen has just said that she never does reads business books, but maybe she'll change in 2023. Spoiler alert, she will not change in 2023 <laughs> yeah. and start reading the business books. <laughs> This is why you have to do user research. Exactly. We do. Don't don't believe anything we say that do because it's it's not going to happen. Absolutely. Exactly. Good observation. Yeah, I know. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do, Helen. I can't say fairer than this. You know, like in uh, like in uh, Bullseye when when Jim Bowen used to say, "Don't worry, you're not going home empty-handed. You are going to get your bully trophy and your BFH, your bus fare home," which I always loved, even though yeah. I knew nothing about darts. Is I have actually been taking some uh, notes on this book. So once I finish reading it. I'll email you the notes so I can't say further than that then you basically get 200 pages in about 20 bullet points and I can't say fairer than that I mean I might listen to it I am um, yeah I oh, mean well, I, I love listening to she it. won't listen to it folks <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you see, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah, I'll take the notes, I won't read the notes either, but thank you. She won't read the notes. <laughs> okay, fine, let's stop uh, badgering the, uh, badgering the guest, Patrick, naughty, naughty interview. <laughs> um, so, Helen, as we're coming into the final few minutes here, I would love to just hand over the microphone uh, to you, and this is really just your chance to tell the listeners what you are thinking about or what you need or want and really it's however you choose to draw this but um yeah the microphone is yours yeah um I mean one of the things I was thinking about is mentoring so I've done a fair bit of mentoring in the past but I would and I have had mentors before but I haven't got one at the moment so if anyone's listening that either knows someone or would like to do that um, I just really appreciate it. I think it's always nice to have someone who you don't work directly with, so he's outside of your um, employer or wh wherever you are, just to bounce ideas about with, to just sort of talk stuff through, to have that external perspective. So I'd really like someone who is, I guess, sort of a leader in design or products, but as, you know, a good UX and user research focus but also um I'm open to um being a mentor as well because I haven't got anyone that I'm mentoring at the moment so if anyone wants someone for that kind of reciprocal relationship then yeah give me a shout amazing folks you've heard it here first um Helen is uh open to chatting about mentoring Helen just let me ask you one clarification question like what what um 
types of of mentoring have you valued in the past just so we can give people a sense when they're thinking maybe they haven't mentored before but they might be an awesome mentor and coming back to our conversation about maybe if you haven't done it before you might still have the potential to do it in the in the future what sort of values um do you appreciate when you're getting support from people yeah absolutely I guess um I mean I see it as someone who's a bit of a sounding board so I suppose someone to yeah like talk ideas through with <clears throat> bounce ideas around I think um I think a lot of the time a mentor would be a bit like a counsellor in that they're just helping you to come up with your own answers to your own problems but it's just a, like a nice safe encouraging space to do that I don't think like I generally see mentoring as you're not there to come up with solutions and you might have some suggestions and you know it's always nice if you can introduce people you know you might say oh well someone I know might help you with that and you know it can it can help you a bit with your network but I think the the purpose is that you're devoting some time once a month once a fortnight however often you want to do it um to yeah your own just work working through things with someone who's removed from it so doesn't have any like is quite impartial to the topic that you're talking about amazing and folks helen is incredible so don't delay um please <laughs> get in touch and what's the best way for people to get in contact with you helen yeah um probably linkedin actually because I've, I've deleted my twitter profile unfortunately oh. i miss it but i have so yeah uh, linkedin is probably the best place so yeah helen divine who's a ux manager at the economist you'll find me amazing well thank you for being uh, an incredible guest it's been really really lovely to spend time with you and uh before uh we go just want to uh flag that um this live stream becomes a podcast so find this and previous episodes on apple and spotify and other places myspace i mean it's probably not on myspace but were myspace still a thing it would be on myspace but don't go to myspace because this is like one of those sort of ux uh, cul-de-sacs that uh, often get built and i wish i hadn't built it now so that's very awkward um please also consider leaving a review of the show if you like it if you hate it if it's angered you if it's if it's driven you to some sort of unseemly act please uh, leave that there because uh, what did Oscar Wilde say? The only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. And in the digital age, that means reviews, folks. So thank you very, very much for listening. Helen, thank you so much for being an awesome guest. Thank you. Goodbye.